You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, the purpose of our service today, if you have not already kind of got tuned into, and we already at 9 o'clock experienced a, a powerful time together, as we are holding high this morning the cross of Jesus Christ. When you came in a moment ago, you, you might have taken a glimpse at the cross. Maybe it got your attention. No doubt when the worship, we began to sing. For me, it was really that. I, I did not really you know, focus on the cross until the lights kind of made a little move towards you know, the cross. And I began to, to see it and revel in it and be in awe of it uh, in, in, as we worshiped a moment ago. And I, I want to challenge you this morning to, to join me for the next few moments as we hold high the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 6:14. Paul said this. He said, "Far be it from me to boast except if there's anything I'm going to boast about it's going to be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." Together this morning may we hold high the cross of Jesus for there is no greater love the savior lifted up on that cross. The cross of Jesus Christ the signature symbol of the central event of the history of civilization, the cross. Not until Constantine in the 4th century was the cross allowed as a sign of Christianity. It wasn't a sign of anything before then. In fact, C.S. Lewis reminded us in, a, in, in his writings that the, the, they, they removed any, anyone, from anyone's memory anyone who, who would have ever seen someone executed at a cross. I mean, they, there was so much time separated between the time that the cross would have been ever known as a, as a symbol of anything, today the cross is common. Artists depict the cross on everything. Sometimes you would see merchandisers use the cross on, on trinkets and souvenirs and maybe even a, a fuzzy thing hanging from a window in a car, and there's the cross. We see baseball players, as they step up to the plate, look up and do the, the sign of the cross. Even here at Champion, we've had a few players hit a three-pointer, and as they turn around and walk back like Steph Curry, they look up and, and do the, the sign of the cross. You might go to a department store like Dillard's and even see, during this time of the year, a chocolate cross. No. That, that, that's not what we're focusing on. Today, we're going to elevate the cross, the cruel cross, the horrific death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to lift that cross up this morning, and we're going to boast in that cross and boast in nothing else except for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles and you enjoy turning, take, take some time right now to turn to Matthew chapter 27, and, or if you have an electronic device and you want to hone in on what I'm going to call the, 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 probably the most focal point of our message today will come from the book of Matthew, although we'll turn and look at other scriptures on the screen. But Matthew 27, you know, each one of the gospels records the cross of Jesus Christ. But this morning, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 27 as we introduce the message, looking at four pictures of the cross. Four pictures. The first picture is this, Christ on the cross, don't miss it, substituting. Christ on the cross, it's a picture of something. It's a picture of substitution. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 15. Now, at the feast, 
This would, would have been the feast of the Passover. Here is the governor. He was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. If you remember, or may I introduce to you to this fact, that in the time of Christ, there was a civil war going on. The Romans were occupying the nation of Israel, and there was this Passover, which was the, the focal point uh, of the celebration uh, of their faith. This was the, the focal point of, of everything they believed. And one time a year, they would release one prisoner at the Passover as a sort of an appeasement to the people for all of the hardness that they were going through. Notice in verse number 16 that they had this notorious. And just for a moment, Hone in on that word notorious. The word means famous for being evil. And so here's this notorious prisoner, and Scripture gives us his name. He's called Barabbas. Now, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. That's who he wanted to release. And so in verse 17, so when they had gathered, Pilate says to them, hey, who do you want me to release? You want me to release Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Now, to get the full effect of that statement, who do you want me to release? Do you want me to release Barabbas or Jesus? To get the full effect, do you want me to release Ted Bundy or Jesus? Do you want me to release Son of Sam or Jesus? Should I release Barabbas or Jesus, because he knew their motives. He knew that it was out of envy, verse 18, that they had delivered them up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, hey, listen to this, his wife, his wife in a dream, the Bible says, she, she thought, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Pilate's wife was disturbed. She was troubled about something that was being done to Christ. And so she, she makes sure her husband knows, listen, be very careful. Don't have anything to do with this man. Verse 20, now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. And another word that's very interesting here caught my attention in the past couple of weeks. Destroy Jesus. Upon further study of that word, it has the meaning of annihilate. Listen, to totally erase the memory of this person. Destroy Jesus. Verse 21, the governor again said to them, so which of the two do you want me to release for you? I mean, he's thinking, surely Jesus. And they said, Barabbas. Pilate says to them, somewhat shockingly, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What has he done? But they shouted even the more, let him be crucified. Listen, Jesus would physically take the place on that cross. In other words, that specific cross in the middle of those two robbers was for Barabbas. But Jesus would physically take the place of the one who was called Barabbas. Jesus was substituted for Barabbas. Jesus died in Barabbas's place, and you begin to understand the gospel when you understand this, I am Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. I am the person who should have died on the cross, not Jesus. 
I am the one who has broken God's law. I am the one who has failed to meet God's standard. I am the one who should have died there, but Jesus died in my place. Christ on the cross substituting. We will not understand the gospel until we understand substitution. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Time out. That's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. Death. But substitution. The wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. But, 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 but what? But, but what? But the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus our substitute, he died in our place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for our sake, that's us, our, us, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we, that's us again, might become the righteousness of God. So in the short term, Jesus died in Barabbas' place, but in the long term, Jesus died in all of our places. See Christ on the cross. See him right now. Picture him on that cross and ask yourself this question, why is he there? Why did Jesus die on the cross? What is he doing there? And the answer is, he is taking the wrath of God for your sin. Jesus on the cross is substituting for you. You and I deserved God's wrath for the sins that we've committed, but Jesus died in our places. He's paying the price that holiness demands so that you and I can be forgiven. Christ on the cross, substituting. Number two, Christ on the cross, scandalizing. And by scandalizing, I mean that what happened to, the cro- to, to Jesus on that cross was an outrageous offense. An outrageous offense. No matter what vantage point you look at it from, doesn't matter what lens you look at it through, it was an outrageous offense. In fact, it was an outrageous offense from Pilate's point of view. Take a look at Matthew 27, 24. So when Pilate saw that he, had, he, he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, <laughs> he took water. He quickly took water. He washed his hands before the crowd. He said, I'm innocent of this, this, this man's blood. See to it yourselves. This makes no sense. I don't want any part of this. This is, this is ridiculous. This is scandalous. This was a scandal to the Jews who were rejecting Jesus. They were calling out for his crucifixion. This morning, I asked my daughter-in-law, Tiffany, just to read a passage of Scripture just for a change of voice in the message, and I wanted it to be a, a, just a, a lady's voice. I asked my wife if she would come and take the mic, and, 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 and church, I'm going to ask you to do what I ask our first service to do. Just listen. Let, let's go to the cross for just a moment and just listen to this scandalizing, outrageous offense. Honey? Turn it on, babe. Yeah. Here you go. Sorry. Yeah, hold up. Go ahead. And all the people answered, 
his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for, the, for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and then before him they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took their reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a school, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And when they sat down and kept watch over him there and over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Wow. What an outrageous offense. Think with me for just a moment as she read that passage, some of these things that she read. They gathered the whole battalion before him. They, they stripped him. They twisted the crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. They spit on him. They struck him in the head. They stripped him. They crucified him. They derided him. I mean, why this irrational hatred of Jesus Christ? Why this outrageous, over-the-top, vitriolical hatred of Jesus? And it goes on, and it goes on today. 2,000 years later, not much has changed. It's all around us. Church, it's not explainable. It, it's scandalous. I had to call our attorney this week, not for any problems that we were having, but for some questions regarding some, some, uh, some policies. And while he was on the phone, I said, uh, Mr. Gibbs, I said, I'm just curious. I'm preaching a message this week about the cross of Jesus Christ. And I, I'm talking about how the fact that it was just such a, a scandal. And, and I said, I'm just curious, in the courtroom, have you recently faced any just hatred of Jesus? Without even stutter or saying, can I think about it? Can I call you back? He said, oh, yeah, I'll tell you what happened last week. I was in a courtroom, and he said, uh, one of the pastors, I'm defending his church in a case, and the pastor just mentioned as we were asking him questions that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who came to save people from their sins. And, 
When the pastor said that, the judge stopped the courtroom, said, Mr. Gibbs, please come to the, to the podium. And I went to the podium. He said, please tell me he just did not just say that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Does he think the only way to heaven is through this ridiculous fairy called Jesus? And I said, yes, sir, he believes that. He said the week before that, I was in, in, a, in a trial where they were choosing 25 jurors. He said, they asked the jurors, amongst many other questions, two questions. One, do you go to church? For which three said yes of the 25. And then they said, are you a Christian? Which one of those three said yes? And immediately they told him to leave the courtroom. I was at a ball game this week. And a few rows back, just hearing somebody constantly, every time somebody misses it, Jesus Christ, they missed it, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Why don't they ever say Muhammad? Why don't they ever say Buddha? Why does it always have to be Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you why. Because Satan and the demonic host hate the cross of Jesus Christ. They hate Jesus. And I want to tell you, when you begin to live for the cross, when you begin to stand for the cross, when you begin to call others to the cross, you're going to experience the same things I'm talking about this morning. It's scandalizing. Christ on the cross substituting. Christ on the cross scandalizing. And number three, clearly and obviously, Christ on the cross suffering. Matthew 27, verse 35, look at it on the screen. And when they had crucified him. When they had crucified him. To try to describe the crucifixion, Scripture does in several places. Even in the Old Testament, we find like in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6, it says they stripped him of his beard. One of the most amazing verses describing this little phrase, and they crucified him, is found in Isaiah 52 and verse number 14. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And really, from his appearance, to be completely honest, you could scarcely even tell he was a a man. And when they crucified him. The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie, is a, a toned-down version of his suffering. Frederick Farrar, in his incredible book called The Life of Christ, wrote this about the cross of Jesus. A death by crucifixion seems to include all that pain and death can have of the horrible and ghastly. Dizziness, cramp, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, shame, publicity of shame, long continuous torment, horror of anticipation, mortification of intended wounds, all intensified just up to the point at which they can be endured at all, but all stopping just short of the point, which would give to the sufferer the relief of unconsciousness. One thing is clear. The first century executions were not like the modern ones, for they did not seek a quick painless death, or the preservation of any measure of dignity for the criminal. On the contrary, they sought an agonizing torture which completely humiliated him. And it's important that we understand this for it helps us to realize the agony of Christ's death. But understand this, that the physical suffering was the lesser point. The physical suffering was the lesser point. 
Follow me in Matthew 27 and verse 45, where Scripture says that from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the pain of the cross. Of all the words that Jesus said on the cross, only one is slightly related to his physical suffering. I thirst. I thirst. All of the words on the cross that are directly related to the suffering of Jesus Christ are related to the separation of him between the triune God. That was the suffering of the cross. Perfect unity up until that point. Never had a disagreement. Never had an argument. Never a a, a discussion that led to anything but total agreement until this moment on the cross. Jesus being made sin for us and the pain of the separation between he and the Father was unfathomable. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the pain of the cross. Now pause for a moment. Did you know that the Gospels race through the life of Christ? Think about it. Three chapters cover the first 30 years of his life. Three chapters. Cover 30 years. And then things all of a sudden dramatically slow down, and there's three chapters given to the last three years of his life, and two chapters given to the last basically three days of his life. It goes into slow motion. Why? Because this is the focal point of the entire Word of God. This is the focal point of all of God's Word, the cross of Jesus Christ. But why? Why is he on the cross? This question is everything. Why is he dying? What is he doing on the cross? Christ on the cross substituting Christ on the cross scandalizing, Christ on the cross suffering, and finally, Christ on the cross, don't miss this, satisfying. Satisfying. Look at Matthew 27 with me, beginning in verse number 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split. It's as if the creative order is revolting all at once at the command of Jesus Christ. All of this is happening at once. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Verse 54. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, they saw the earthquake and what took place. They saw that. They were filled with awe. And here's what they said. Truly, truly this was the Son of God. That's why the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain was what kept people out of God's presence. But now that Jesus has died, now that Jesus had paid the the sacrificial price for our sin, now that Jesus has satisfied the wrath of a holy God, now that Jesus has said, it is finished. There's no more curtain. (laughs) We have direct access to the throne of God. We can have a personal relationship with Jesus. This changes everything. When Jesus says, it is finished, God said, paid in full. Paid in full. 
Now I want to transition and talk about Christ on the cross, a picture of grace. I want you to see grace as you've never seen it before. What is grace? And we know it is something that is unearned, right? We know grace is something that is unmerited. We know grace is something that is undeserved. And, and God, God, look, God gives gifts, not wages. God doesn't give paychecks. God gives grace. And this is what it's all about. This cross is all about a picture of grace. And I want you to see, first of all, Christ on the cross, a picture of grace that redeems. It redeems. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. I love this. Oh, church, don't miss this. He has delivered us. He's redeemed us. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's worth repeating. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. By the way, welcome to Gospel Light this morning. We're so glad you're here. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. Hallelujah. Amen. That's, that's really good news. Oh, my goodness. Apart from the cross and apart from Christ, we belong to the kingdom of darkness. That is our citizenship. That's where we belong. There's no way out. Apart from Jesus Christ, do you know where you'd be today? You'd be on your way to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Apart from Christ. And there's nothing you can do about it. We, we, have, we have nothing to offer him. Christ then stepped in. And Christ paid the price for our sin. I mean, all of it. I mean, there's, there's nothing more that needs to be paid. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy. He saved us. There's nothing we can do. We're, we're bankrupt, if you will. Have you ever been broke? Anybody ever been just completely broke? I'll tell you, the brokest I've ever been, and since we're celebrating 30 years in two months, I'm going to tell you the story. The broke, brokest I've ever been was week four when we planted the church. Week four. We had no paycheck because we just started. Remember the old story about, hey, you have a paycheck? No, I don't have a paycheck. What are you going to get paid? Well, whatever comes to the offering. Well, for the first four weeks, not much is coming in the offering. So we didn't have a paycheck. We had, we had no income other than what we had saved and a little support from parents and the previous church we had been at. And my wife got a major flare-up in week four of ulcerative colitis. She lost three pints of blood. She went down to about 85 pounds, and she was rushed to St. Joe's Hospital where she would spend 28 consecutive days. Week four. I remember we needed three pints of blood, and I want to thank Dave Chittam, Bud Kaufman, and I can't remember the third person, Kevin O'Byrne. Kevin O'Byrne, because that was back when there was a lot of contamination in blood, a lot of fear of blood. A high percentage of people were getting blood that was contaminated. So my father-in-law, Mr. Yoshida, stood up in front of the congregation and said, if you would be willing to give blood to save my daughter's life, Dave Chittam, Bud Kaufman, and Kevin O'Byrne, gave blood that she got. And her life was spared. She finishes 28 days in the hospital. We leave and they give us a bill for 
We had no insurance. And so we looked at that $77,000, and after we laughed, we cried. Like, we actually didn't laugh, we just cried. <laughs> we went home, and she said, honey, I mean, I'm so sorry. Of course, you got, you got to know Caroline. She's apologizing for being sick. I'm so sorry I brought this about our family. You know, and I'm like, honey, it's, it, it's okay. And I, she said, what can we afford? I said, I looked at things. This, this is funny, but it's true. Here's what I said. Clearly, I said, we can afford $10 a month. So we did the math. It was going to be like, we'd, we'd have to live 220 years <laughs> to pay this at $10 a month. So I wrote a check. I, I put the $77,000 bill with a $10 check from Regions Bank. And I mailed it to St. Joseph's, literally. I, I just said, St. Joseph's Hospital <laughs> with the bill. Not even the billing department. I just mailed it to the St. Joe's Hospital on Whittington Avenue at the time, where the math and science school is now. And so they call me. Sir, um, I think you messed up on the zeros. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, there's like, it's like one zero point zero zero. Did you mean one zero 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 point zero zero? I said, no, no, there's, the point's in the right place. <laughs> she said, so you're going to pay $10 on this bill? I said, yes, ma'am. It's all we can afford. She said, well, it's not going to work. You, you can't, you've got to figure things out. I said, oh, well, I, I will try. So second month came and $10, third month, $10. On the third month, I said to Caroline, I said, maybe we should write a letter. And so she wrote a letter. She sat at the kitchen table of our little mobile home on 160 Jaguar Trail out in the middle of nowhere. Listen, the tent was better than that. I'm not kidding. It was close, honey. I mean, I never got out of the stinking car. I'm bitter right now to this day that every time I got out of the car and walked from the car to the door of the trailer, I got ticks. I mean, literally every time. We spread everything. Anyway, praise God for Third Street. I mean, you got drive-by shootings, but no ticks. It's wonderful. So, anyway. So, we send the, we send, she sends the letter. It's simple. Dear St. Joseph's, you know, my, my husband and I just started the church. I got sick 30 days after. We, we, we just don't have much money. You know, all we can do right now is, is $10 a month. Is there any way you could show us some grace? We would deeply appreciate it. Sincerely, Eric and Caroline Capace. She sends the letter in. Fourth month's come by. We haven't heard. So we just give another 10. We're up to 40. Fifth month, hadn't heard from them. 50. Sixth month, we sent another 10. We were faithful on the 10. 60. We sent the seventh month, 70, and then we get a letter back. I'll never forget it. I thought, well, here it is, the day of, the day of reckoning. She opens the letter, and she starts crying. And I'm like, what's happening? What, what are you? She goes, and it said something to this effect. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Capace, um, we have been looking over your situation, and we, we're sorry for the delay in responding. We've been meeting with some of, our, uh, you know, some of our leadership and our board, and what we've decided to do is is to write off your entire bill. Your balance as of today is zero, and in this envelope is a check for $70. Paid in full. And that's what Jesus did for you! He paid it all! He paid it all! All to him I owe! This is huge. It's beautiful. It's amazing. The story of the cross is unlike any story that's ever been told. It's simply unbelievable. 
Do you know what it means to be forgiven of your sins? Get this. It means that no wrong that you've ever done will ever be held against you. That's what it means. To be forgiven of your sins is unbelievable. It's called grace. All of this because I'm in Jesus Christ. I love the old hymn, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder, you see it? Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threatened the soul with infinite loss. Grace! (laughs) Grace that is greater. Yes, grace untold points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can we do to wash it away? Look! Look! There is flowing a crimson tide, brighter than snow you can be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? No wonder they call it amazing. No wonder they call it amazing. Number two, grace that releases. Grace that releases. You know, I want to say something about grace. There is more to grace than simply getting saved. You know, for a long time, I think we, we kind of bought into that. You know, it's just like, well, uh, you know, it will be worth it all. I mean, it's the saddest song that's ever been written. I mean, it's almost as if, you know, yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, it just, you know, it's, it's all, it's tough down, it's nothing worth living for, everything's tough and everything's bad, and have you seen what's happening in the world today? And it's almost as if, you know, all we've done is just receive the grace for salvation. That's like an astronaut sitting on the ground in a huge ship and never going into the air. That's like a pilot sitting in a huge jet, never lifting up into the air. But this grace releases something, power, and that power changes everything. The power of sin is removed. There is a grace that releases in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 14. Sin will have no more dominion over you. Read that again. Sin will have no more dominion over you. Amen. Brother Ballard, this is what you said about three times last week in your testimonies. No more dominion. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. I love that word. What a word. Grace. See, all the law can do is make you feel like a failure. That's all the law can do. Let me illustrate. Have you ever had a lustful thought? My hand's not going up to ask you. I'm just raising my hand. I've had one. Looks like I'm the only one, but that's okay. I could either call this embarrassing or honest. Ha, 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 have, you ever, have you ever been lazy? A few of you. All right. Have you ever lied? Have you ever lied when you were asked in church if you lied? <laughs> Listen, the law basically says this, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. But wait. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Now, wait a minute. We are not light on sin here at Gospel Light. 
Don't you think for a minute that we're light on sin. But when you see sin in the mirror and self in the dirt, you're ready for the good news of the gospel. You're ready. There's nothing like it. And the power of sin is broken, and I can live like the power of sin is broken. I can please God with my life. I can honor him with my life. I can live a life of righteousness. Why? Grace makes it possible. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Number three, this grace on the cross, it reconciles. It reconciles. It's powerful. What a powerful word. Follow along with me in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 15. It says this, speaking of Jesus, it says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, speaking of Jesus, Jesus has broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility. This dividing wall. Now, let's back up into the verse a little bit. Who has made us. Paul is speaking here to Jews and Gentiles. So as he speaks to these groups that are very different, he says he's made us one. He's broken down the walls uh, of uh, the dividing wall of hostility. So in other words, by going to the cross for all humanity, by going to the cross for all men and for all women, allowing himself to be crucified, allowing himself, remember, to be the substitution for our sin, Jesus broke down the barriers that separate us. And not just reconciliation to God, reconciliation to each other. You and I. Doesn't matter what color of skin you have. Doesn't matter where you are on the on the financial scale. Doesn't matter where you live. God has broken down all those walls of hostility. And let me ask you a question real quick, just in case you're wondering. Anybody seen hate in the United States lately? I've seen it in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Anybody ever seen some hostility going on? I mean, the past two years in our country, we've seen hostility maybe like we've never seen it before. But I'm here to announce to you with, with, with great urgency that should not be said of a life that's been impacted by grace. It shouldn't be said of us. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so what? Making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing hostility. That means black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Indian. There should be a love between us that blows the world away. Blows them away. Racial discrimination is wickedness. And we should hate it with a holy indignation. There is no place for that in the church. And I applaud gospel light for believing this, for standing by this, for supporting this, and for deciding we are one in Jesus Christ. And we'll always be one as we understand that Jesus Christ died to reconcile us back to God, but also to each other. And then finally, grace that removes. It removes something. We've sung about it this morning. It it removes our sin. It removes our shame. It removes our guilt. But pay attention here to Colossians 1 or 2, excuse me. And I want to read this slow. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. 
then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins, and he canceled the record of wrong or the record of the charges against us, and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. All of our sin. God did that. God nailed all of our sin to the cross. I want to read you a story about a lady by the name of Mary Ann Bird as I close the message. Mary Ann Bird grew up knowing that she was different. She hated being different. Mary Ann was different because she was born with a cleft palate and a disfigured face, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and deafness in one ear. When she started to attend school, her classmates constantly teased her and made it clear to her how she looked to them. A little girl with mishappened features and somewhat garbled speech, she could not even blow up a balloon without holding her nose. And when she bent to drink from a water fountain, the water spilled out of her nose. When her schoolmates asked, what what happened to your lip? Mary Ann would tell them that she had fallen as a baby and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born by a disfigured physical appearance. By the age of seven, Mary Ann was convinced that no one outside of her own family could even love her or even like her. It was then that Mary Ann entered Mrs. Leonard's second grade class. And Mary Ann's life would be changed forever. Oh, God, make me a Miss Leonard. And you'll understand why. Mrs. Leonard was round and pretty and fragrant, with chubby arms and shiny brown hair and warm dark eyes that smiled even on the rare occasions when her mouth did not. Everyone adored Mrs. Leonard, but no one came to love Mrs. Leonard more than Mary Ann Bird did, and for a very special reason, as we shall see. The time came for the school's annual whisper test. These were hearing tests. Mary Ann was barely able to hear anything out of one ear, It was not about to reveal yet another problem that would single her out for further for being different. So she cheated. She had learned to watch the other children, and she raised her hand when they when they did during group testing. The whisper test, however, required a different kind of deception. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, cover one ear with a hand, and the teacher would whisper something from her desk which the child would then repeat. Then the same thing was done for the other ear. Marianne discovered in kindergarten that no one checked to see how tightly the untested ear was being covered, so she merely pretended to block her ear. As usual, Marianne was last. But all through the testing, she wondered what Miss Leonard would whisper to her. She knew from previous years that Mrs. Leonard whispered such things as, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? Marianne's turn finally came. She turned her almost deaf ear to Mrs. Leonard, plugging up the other solidly with her hand and then gently backed her hand off to be able to hear. She waited and then heard the words from Mrs. Leonard's mouth, seven words that forever transformed Marianne Bird's life. Mrs. Leonard whispered softly, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. 
And Jesus says to all of us who have been deformed by sin, I wish you were mine. Because he tells us in 2 Peter, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus died for your sins. He died for my sins. And he wants to redeem us and purchase us back to become a child of his. That's how much he loves us. Maybe you don't feel worthy of love. Maybe you don't feel like you're worthy. Maybe you feel as if you've done so much wrong that God could never love you. But Jesus has taken your sin, all of your sin. I don't care how much sin you've committed. He's taken your sin. And according to the scripture, and I'm not a carpenter, but I'll do the best I can. He took your sin. And he nailed it to the cross because he loves you. And he wants you to be his child. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. It's what we are. It's what we are. You see, God on the throne is a picture of holiness. And sin in the mirror, that's me. That's a picture of brokenness. But thank God, September the 1st, 1978, I bowed my knee to the cross. Self in the dirt is a picture of repentance. And Christ on the cross, well, that, my friend, is a picture of grace. Grace. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. You know, I think we should be ready to worship. Amen. I know what we're going to sing. Yes, Christ on the cross was scandalizing, but I'm going to tell you something else that was scandalizing, and that was the grace of God. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's incredible. It's unfathomable. It's unbelievable that Jesus Christ died for our sin. And today Christ comes to you and he says, I'm not willing that you perish, but that you come to repentance. He offers you right now a free gift of salvation. He doesn't offer you a paycheck. It's not by your works. It's by his grace. This morning, if you've never been saved, I want to encourage you. If you've never trusted Christ, if you've never had a personal relationship with Christ through the blood of Jesus, repenting of your sins and turning to Christ and Christ alone. Man, that preacher on the stand was right. Jesus is the only way. I'm sorry, Mr. Judge. I'm so sorry you don't believe that. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through him. If you've never accepted Christ as payment for your sin, And this morning, I invite you to come forward. I really do invite you to take myself or Butch. We've got others here that would be glad to to speak with you about this great gift. But even more so, you, you could pray right now, sitting where you're sitting. You could pray. You could, just where you're sitting, you could say, God, forgive me of my sin. I've heard the gospel this morning. I've heard what you did for me on the cross. I accept the payment of your son, Jesus, as payment for my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Maybe even right now, 
and you could tell us the good news this morning. If you're a Christian, I don't know about you, but it's, it's just time to worship him. Some may find a place at the altar to worship him and thank him for the cross. Some may want to just stand and revel in his glory and his power and his grace. But it's time now to respond. And so I'm going to pray. And as I pray, let's ask God together how he would have us to make a move towards the cross. Father, God, I love you. I thank you for what you've done in this service. I cannot wait. I pray that this service is just a precursor, a preparation for an even greater time together Friday night at the Good Friday service. And then, God, as we tell the rest of the story on Sunday, the story of the amazing resurrection of our Savior who lives and reigns forever. But, God, as we this morning sit humbly at the foot of the cross, we recognize Lord, your love for us. And we see clearly, God, as the cross has been lifted up this morning, that there is no greater love than the Savior who was lifted up on that cross. It's it's scandalous. It's scandalous. But God, I'm so thankful for it. So Father, please move in our time together as we close the service, as we sing, as we respond. God, I pray that you'd save someone this morning. And God, may they announce it, shout it from the rooftops, because it's the greatest thing that will have ever happened to them. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to take complete control. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, shall we?